Hello, everyone, and I'm Peter. Welcome to the show today. Joining me is Cody. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Film Bros Anonymous. Yes, and today we have some very important news because we have the unfortunate task of telling you that in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds, the world's going to end. Whew, yeah, uh, at least for, for one one angsty boy. At least for one angsty boy, which uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're speaking today on a movie which every single angsty teenage boy growing up in the mid-2000s had the poster for on their wall, myself included. We are talking, of course, about Richard Kelly's one-hit wonder, Donnie Darko. Yeah, 2001. I'm excited to, you did not tell me before this that you had a Donnie Darko poster in your room. Oh, I do, yes. It's it's an actual film poster, too. I think it's probably the first one I owned of a, a real film poster. It's that, and I have a Dark Knight one. So those are my two actual film posters I had in my room growing up. Those are that's some real uh, podcast fodder. That's that's some good good film bro movies. Well, I'm just out there that can tell me why I'm uh, I- I'm doomed. I'm bad, you just bad, like alone. You just like men dressed up as uh, small mammals. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that connection. That's a good one. Um, so this was my very first time seeing Donnie Darko. It has been a blind spot for me, and. I feel like a lot of times I want to go into a movie blind. And I think the big problem I had here was that I had completely wrong expectations for this movie. I, from reading a description several years ago, I had this idea that it was going to be Jake Gyllenhaal just kind of going into an imaginary land within his own mind. And that was where the giant rabbit came in. And I was just like, I don't really want to watch emo Alice in Wonderland. Oh, and yeah, I just like fundamentally different. didn't understand the movie. So it was very different than what I expected. Yeah, very different from that. I mean, there is sort of a, it, it is sort of that, but at the same time, it's not that. There's, well, let's start by saying, Cody, which one did you watch? Did you watch the theatrical version or the director's cut version? Because it does matter. There are lots of differences between them. Oh. Um, you probably watched the theatrical. Okay, the question is. What's the runtime? Uh, just under two hours. For the theatrical. Okay, I watched the director's cut then, because okay. mine was just over two hours. Okay, did you watch... So you watched the one where, like, pages of text pop up on the screen? Yes. Okay, yeah, that's the director's cut. Well, that's a shame, because I would have highly recommended you go with the theatrical <laughs> cut for your first one. Um, I enjoyed the, it a lot. The director's cut's very cool. So I guess let's let's start by talking, before we delve too deeply into it, why is this sort of part of the film bro canon i think it really sort of captured the vibe that a lot of 90s i hate to say the term 90s kids because it sounds so awkward saying it but (laughs) a lot of 90s kids grew up with it's sort of this this angsty grunge of that period and you know i think it really resonated with a lot of people it's also just a super complex movie in terms of there's a lot there's a lot going on and not a lot is told to you. So I think for a lot of people growing up, this was maybe their their first sort of foray into what an art house film looks like, where you're not giving all the answers. Well, at least in the theatrical cut, you're not giving all the answers. And there's this sort of 
mystery and this question and there's weird surrealist imagery and i think that's really what captured people's imagination because you go into it thinking you know oh it's it's jake gyllenhaal and he's talking to a creepy bunny and it's going to be scary and that's that's the bunny's going to scare him it's going to jump out and say boo and, and no that's not what it is at all it's there's a lot more to it there's a there's a whole like mythos which the director's cut goes into heavily but i think that sort of is what captured people's imagination with it and i really wasn't certain going into this whether it would hold up i was like you know as a i watched this movie so many times when i was in high school like going back now i haven't watched it in years but going back now i was worried am i still gonna like it is it still gonna hold up to me am i just gonna say oh this was clearly the product of me being angsty and as a a teenager and i'm not gonna relate to it and find it cringy now but honestly on a rewatch i enjoyed it quite quite a lot i i enjoyed a lot of aspects of it i think i came away from it with a a deeper understanding so yeah that's that's sort of why we're talking about it today it's on the surface level it certainly fits the the profile of the the film bro-y movie where again uh uh, college dorm room posters are hanging with donnie darko uh carried over from um (laughs) from the high school days but there's there's more to this. Uh, there's more once you start dissecting this bunny. Yeah, I think the the like most movies we're gonna talk about, there is a quality to this movie where whatever you bring in to the viewing experience really informs what you get out of the movie, and I think that's why it can appeal to very angsty teen boys with me, you know, maybe very problematic desires to be like Donnie Darko or like really relate to him in a way that's maybe uh, unhealthy mm-hmm. um, because the movie relies on the viewer to interpret. It doesn't go, Hey, this is bad. You should, you know, not want to murder, <laughs> murder people. That would, that would be a bad yeah. thing. It like relies on you to have that knowledge going in. So before we get really deep into it, and obviously I think we're going to discuss spoilers for this movie as we go, as we have for every one of our movies. I don't think we normally give spoiler warnings, but this this movie has a lot of twists and turns. I, I If people are going to interest in watching it, since it's kind of fallen out of the mainstream a little bit, I think, I'd say go and do it. Yeah, I guess that's actually my first question is, would you recommend uh, people watch Donnie Darko today in this day and age? Yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. I I prefer a creeping thriller to a jump scare heavy mm-hmm. movie. So I I enjoyed this a lot, and I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh yeah, it's great seeing him and Maggie in this like at playing brother and sister. Yeah, very fun. So yeah, okay. So let's get started. I want to know just as a fresh watcher, what was this movie about? <laughs> <laughs> Let's maybe do it in like three layers. I'll like try to say something and then we'll say, but why? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's about a mentally unstable young man who is trying to process teenage life. And then if we try to peel that back, I watched a video recently. I'll link it in the description from a a small creator on YouTube whose takes on film I've been really enjoying. But he talks about like taking the the specifics out of the narrative as much as possible and that helps you like winnow down to what the movie is about. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, it feels really reductive to just be like, Donnie Darko is about teen angst, but it is. Yeah. It's about I, feeling I totally unique. If you have thoughts, please feel free. Oh, no, keep going. It's, yeah, it's about feeling really unique. No one could possibly understand your problems. He has this, he has a thing, like, he has every available resource to get out, and he just doesn't feel like he can be helped. And then I think the the payoff of the movie, we'll get to that later. I'm just kind of spinning my wheels here. I don't I don't understand what the movie was about. <laughs> That's perfectly acceptable. I've seen I've certainly seen take takes of that was the best movie I've ever seen. I don't get it. Um and it was a yeah. vi- it was a vibes based movie, I felt it like. It is a very vibes based movie. Now you came at it from the worst possible angle, which was starting with the director's cut, which leans much more heavily into like the mythos of the movie. And yeah, I really felt like I was leaving a lot of that by the wayside, trying uh, to concoct what it's about. <laughs> yeah, you, and and yes, I agree with you. It's really it's about the idea of of teen angst. I think it's a movie about and the certain like the deeper level of what are the themes of the movie. It's about not fitting in. It's about finding your place. It's about I think there's a certain idea about the inevitability of death, which comes into play, which is explored and the the inevitability of things and sort of the actions we take having impact on those around us now in the version you watched it's all very much more specific where there's these these concepts of time travel and the time travel is very explicit and like this is how it works these are the there's the manipulated dead and the manipulated living and the receiver and there's all these different things thrown at you in the and that's that's only in the director's cut the theatrical okay. cut is much more nebulous about it. So, but it's it's certainly a movie that gets by on its style because goddamn what a style it has. Um, it's beautifully shot. There's a there's some amazing scenes, some amazing use of music. Um, this was a movie that made everybody think when it came out. Oh, Richard Kelly, that guy is going to be a big director from now on. Um, <laughs> it didn't happen. It, it it really did not have ever happen. This was his, this was his real big one, and he it's a, it's a little sad that you know, he started with a masterpiece. I would consider it like, a masterpiece of what he was trying to do, and just like, perfectly encapsulating, that late eighties into the nineties feel, but then just never went on to do anything else. But yeah, as for. You know, you had so many... I mean, oh, man, I wish I had told you to watch the theatrical one. There's there's so much more stuff in the director's cut that it just bogs it down. Um, it The thing that I think that was really interesting, that it sounds like the director's cut gave me that just a normal viewing of the theatrical version would not have given me, I've never seen a time travel movie that felt more like witchcraft. Yeah. Um, like, I really enjoyed that, where when you're at the, the very edge of science it becomes magic and i feel like it really captured that spirit no that's a that's a good way of putting it yeah and you do get you get quite a bit of that in the theatrical one as well it does you know you still understand the time travel stuff is happening it's just a little less explicit and a little it's a little more magic even because it's more nebulous on what exactly is going on so yeah just to kind of 
summarize the basic premise, like the basic premise in terms of the, the time travel of the movie, and you may have gotten this on your watch or you may have not, is that Donnie surviving this incident has created what's known as a tangent universe. And in the tangent, a tangent universe is a very unstable thing. It, in the context of this movie, it is only going to last for the next 28 days, which is mm. why the initial the world is going to end, because that's the reset of the, the tangent universe. Now, I've seen it implied that it's really, it's not a one-time time travel movie. Instead, it's a time loop until until Donnie dies. It's a, it's a looping of time. Um, okay. And that everything that happens happens again and again and again. And that's why the movie starts with Donnie waking up randomly somewhere because we're starting at the beginning of a new loop in which Donnie has failed to prevent the creation of a tangent universe again. And the only way for him to prevent the creation of the tangent universe is to die by the falling jet engine from nowhere. Because kind of what we see is the... Every event that Donnie does, and it's really fun to watch it a second time, because everything Donnie does, which you might not quite get the reason for at the beginning, has an immediate response. There's something that happens because of what Donnie does, and we sort of just follow this chain of events until finally, you know, the portal opens and the the plane would crash through. And it's Donnie's final choice after resetting this time to stay where he is and be crushed by the engine. Mm. And so that's why I've seen the take that this movie is very pessimistic. And on a surface level, it seems to be where, you know, Donnie, Donnie dies in the end. There's nothing he can do. He dies. But I also find it to be interesting in an examination of self-sacrifice. Because assuming that the knowledge Donnie gains gives him the choice on whether to, you know, accept his fate and die or, you know, stop the creation, you know, whether to stop the creation of the Tangent Universe or to selfishly choose to live and have everything happen again, I think it becomes a story of, you know, Donnie's sacrifice and, and, well, and he, has his he is dead. Yeah. Like, regardless of whether he chooses to finally end it, he's he's stuck in purgatory. That's what he's yeah, doing. That's a, that's he's Groundhog Daying. That's a good thought. But he could continue to be stuck in purgatory, and there's a there's a theme of faith throughout the movie. There's a lot of Donnie's conversations with the, his therapist. A lot of times come back to you know, do you believe in God? Do you believe in a higher power? And in the end, that's almost what Donnie's accepting that there is a greater design, and he chooses in the end to take his place within that design. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how I interpreted that at least. Yeah, yeah, I feel like accepting the the Groundhog Day framing, which I don't feel like I understood, but I can definitely, I didn't understand it just on my initial viewing, but I feel like if I, you know, got really into it and watched it, you know, three or four more times, I could really, like, wrap my brain around it. Um, But I feel like if we accept that, he, the last, it's the last conversation with the therapist, I think, where she tells him that he's not an atheist, he's an agnostic, um, and like a proper agnostic, mm-hmm. where he, he feels like God is unknowable, and the, the existence of God is unknowable, so he just has to accept on faith that ending the loop will, is the right choice. Yeah. That, that's, that's, what I, uh, that's what I was thinking, too. 
along the way, you have a journey of some fantastic co uh, characters, some yeah. really fun interactions, some great comedy. Uh, we learn a lot about uh, Smurfette, um, <laughs> which is a great, great scene. Um, As they were having the discussion about Smurfette, I hate that I already knew everything that Donnie was going to say. I was like, this is a stu I was, I was the well actually before the movie well actually. Um, and I was like, man, I would have, this would have hit really hard if I was 15. I would have been like, I am Donnie. Yeah. <laughs> no one understands the Smurfs the way I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a movie that. And much like uh, the characters are pulled along by their invisible watery spheres, uh, it pulls us along. And I mean, I, I'm I'm down for the ride. It's it's really fun. Yeah, I I was expecting the whiteboard on their fridge to come up more often in the the opening when he wanders back into the house. He picks up, uh, and I don't know if. I assume this is in both versions, but I don't know. It felt kind of pivotal where he, he touches the whiteboard that says, where is Donnie? Mm -hmm. And so I was then trying to think about like where he's at the rest of the movie. Cause I was like, Ooh, there's going to be like a through line here that I need to follow. And I don't know that I, you know, I need to watch again. Probably one of the things that I can tell the audience, if you haven't watched the movie is I'm planning to watch it again. Um, and that's about the highest praise I can give a movie because I have this intense anxiety about there being an almost infinite number of great movies to watch. And I really struggle to watch something twice. Mm -hmm. So if I'm choosing to watch it twice, it, it means that it, I'm like really thinking about it. Yeah, that's it's I, I watched, like I said, I watched it so many times. I'm very excited that I watched it again and it's still it still kicks ass. It's still great. What did I want to take a second and talk about like what a great cast this movie has? Oh yeah, we mentioned Jake Gyllenhaal, but you know you got Drew Barrymore as the the badass liberal English teacher. Um, yes, the Watership Down stuff is not in the theatrical cut, which that, I like that stuff a lot. Yeah, Watership Down, completely creepy movie. I mean, you got Mary McDonald, the 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 president from Battlestar Galactica. Have you ever seen Battlestar? I have seen part of the first season. Oh, it's good. But yeah, she plays the the president in that one. And she that's a that's a great one. Great seeing her. I mean, Patrick Swayze was fantastic in his role as the the sleazy fear love guy. Just so great. <laughs> um yeah, can we talk about the the fascist subplot for a minute? Sure. I really enjoyed this like conservative teacher gets pulled in to this obviously fascistic self-improvement rhetoric. It's, it feels a little bit crazy to watch a movie that's 20 years old now and be like, Oh, this is exactly what, like I know people in my day job who buy into self-improvement philosophy. That is like, the fear love continuum and everything exists on this one axis um, and thinking oh, yeah. about anything more complexly is bad and evil um, and all that matters is hustling that video she shows the class definitely lives run free in my head where patrick's like turning around and going fear love <laughs> so great i mean it's so it's so funny the movies there's so many great lines that you know I had certainly forgotten of in my time since watching it, but you know, it all comes back to me 
Go suck a fuck is fantastic. How does right? one suck a fuck? <laughs> can we say that on a podcast? You can say anything on the oh podcast. It's just, it's, I'm beginning to doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. <laughs> so good. So good. I mean, just so much, so much style. And it's, you know, that's, you know, that kind of reminds me of like going back to our first film bro pick of Pulp Fiction is just that is also an infinitely quotable stylistic movie. Maybe that's part mm-hmm. of what makes a film bro movie a film bro movie is because it's got that it's got that style. It's got that quotability. But, you know, the question is, when you examine these movies, is that all is it all style and no substance or is there something more there? And both Pulp Fiction and Donnie Dark Eyes say there's there's more beneath the surface. Yeah, I think that we're going to run into this a lot where there is a, a very stylistic surface and there's a reading of the movie that, that you can bring with you that is just like everything a teen boy wants. Mm-hmm. But also teen boys are like pretty good at misunderstanding movies, especially if it's ambiguous. And I think that, you know, we'll come to Fight Club later, but just think about like how fundamentally misunderstood fight club is in in our culture but particularly among like young guys who watch it and they're like yeah i want to be shredded like brad pitt and beat the shit out of people Um, when the movie has like much bigger things to say and i think that donnie darko has some interesting things to say but i'm not i haven't fully sharpened that down to a point where i like really know what it wants me to take away yeah i i feel that i think Donnie Darko, there's there's a whole picture, and the picture's kind of difficult to fully reach because it's uh, so many individual moments are so good, but on a surface level, it's kind of hard to stick them all together, you know? Because, but there's just you know you have so many scenes. There's so many memorable scenes. The the initial school scene with the Tears for Fears plan. I mean. So good, such a good moment that, that that long cut you got. You even get like a little bit of that Spielbergian innocence, where the kids hop on their bikes to go solve a mystery and on Halloween, and it ends with like uh, at least two people dying. It well, it ends with exactly two people dying. Um, and it's just uh, it's it's got a great thing. You got Evil Dead uh, playing in the theater. And, you know, capturing that that eerie feeling that the start of Evil Dead has, which certainly we, we have to know for immediately that this is a parallel weird universe because Gretchen falls asleep within the first five minutes of Evil Dead, which how do you fall asleep in the first five minutes of Evil Dead? <laughs> and why is the Evil Dead showing to an empty theater? It certainly isn't real. Must be a fake universe. <laughs> no screening of Evil Dead goes unsold out. But, but yeah, it's just, I mean, there's so many good thoughts and I think it, you know, this is just my interpretation. It comes back to a question of faith, a question of growing up in that moment in time where we, you know, confront our faith. We, we sometimes lose it or, you know, we strengthen it. And, you know, it's something I went through. It's, it's certainly when I was in high school, it became a, you know, my faith was questioned, my belief in God was questioned, and I, I think that's part of what makes this movie resonate with people, because I think a lot of people 
go through that same process at that moment where they lose their innocence. And when you when you lose your innocence, it, it becomes a question of, well, you know, how can there be an all good? How can there be a purpose to anything when things seem so shitty? And and Donnie Darko captures that, that atmosphere and that, that feeling and the the voyage, the, the journey that Donnie goes on is is dealing with that in a very dark way. Do you feel like we see Donnie's loss of innocence in like a moment in the film or are we coming in after? I think we're coming in after. Um, you know, Donnie has been set up as a troubled character already. He burned down an abandoned building. He's he's in therapy for um, for having these these kind of dark feelings. His family just kind of accepts the fact that he's sleepwalking and vanishing. Uh, there's no real question of it, um, and I, I think we we have, this this is the character that has already sort of lost his faith. His you know he has that that, that great moment where Grandma Death wish, whispers to him that every living creature dies alone, and he recalls his dog dying and and crawling under the the patio to die or to be alone as he says. And I it mm-hmm. I mean. That was the moment for me, really, when my my first pets died. That I sort of lost my faith in in a higher good, and that first confrontation with death. And it seems like that's sort of the thing that set Donnie on this this path of angst. It's very, you know, that it's it's very angsty. It's a very angsty movie, but that's yeah. that's what we're like. That's what we're like growing up. I think there's a lot of that angst, um, and it captures that feeling very well. So yeah, I think that it's really that's that's Donnie facing it. Um, but we see sparks of that childhood essence the, um, that are still there. You know, when Donnie just straight up asks Gretchen, do you want to go with me? Which is their like going <laughs> steady. It's like, that's a very childlike thing. It's like, you want to, Hey, we just met. You want to be my girlfriend? Okay. Hey, we, ha- we haven't yeah. kissed yet. You want to kiss? It's, it's, it's all very innocent in childhood. You know, when Donnie says, Hey guys, we got to go. There's there's trouble happening and they all hop on their bikes to go. Um, that's very, that's very childlike. And yeah, I, I giggled when it was like, let's go. And then cut to all of them on their bikes. Yeah. Great, great stuff. But you know, um, you got the moment where, um, Donnie whispers to the one girl. I can't remember her name. He says, you know, every, everything's going to be okay. Or one day you'll feel, you'll feel better. You remember the scene in the hallway when he, he takes off her earmuffs and, you know, says one day everything's going to be okay. Ooh, I do not remember that scene. It's the, it's the, the, sh- the shut up girl. But yeah, great. great. Oh yes. Okay. I know which girl you're talking about now. Yeah. Charita, Charita is her name. Yeah. So at mm. one point Donnie in the hallway sees Charita and he takes off her earmuffs and, and tells her that, you know, that, it's like one day you're going to be okay, mm. which is great. And now all, you know, one of the things I like about the theatrical version and, you know, it almost, when you delve too deeply into the movie, because there's this weird mythos and this very sci-fi element to it, it becomes, it, it almost loses some of its meaning because there's the whole th- concept of the manipulated living, the manipulated dead. Treat is one of yeah. the manipulated living. And, and and the whole mythos of the story Everybody's purpose is to get Donnie to sacrifice himself. The manipulated living, the manipulated dead, 
they're all eventually trying to get Donnie to sacrifice himself, but they can't to, to force him to do it. Close the yeah, loop. Yeah. That's like everybody's purpose for existing in this, this, this tangent universe. But you get the feeling. So yeah, that that's, that's part of it. But then you get the feeling when the tangent universe has been closed, the time travel has been happened. You have the, the great scene of it's a mad world, which that song or that rendition of the song was for this movie, I believe which it became like a chart topper. I don't know. Do you remember hearing it back in the day? Yes. Mm. I definitely know the song and I, I don't know what else I would know it from. So I assume that it was just it trickling onto the airwaves in the early aughts. But yeah, it's that scene where you get the feeling that the, the events of the tangent universe have had an impact, at least emotionally. Um, because you get, I mean, it's not, you don't even get the feeling, it's a fact, because you have Frank putting his hand up to his eye, where he was shot in the Tangent Universe, you have Patrick Swayze's character is crying, and you know, there's just this sort of lingering feeling, and I think part of what that has to do is addressing the topic of death, addressing the topic of, you know, one of the reasons we shouldn't necessarily fear death because in the end, even when we're gone, we have impacts upon the people we've touched. I think that's Mm. even a line in the movie that like, you know, when the world ends, all that's left is the, the memories we have and the people we've touched and, uh, you know, you and me. And I feel like that's mentioned in the movie specifically. Well, and even the way it imagines people as, having like water auras yeah you you create ripples in other people yeah and i think it's i think it's a great great thought i think it's a comforting thought i think it's certainly i can see why that you know that element people latched onto it when they were growing up and but i can also see latching onto it now because i think it's something you know, we consistently live with. Everybody's got a little bit of ex- existentialism, a little bit of fear of death in them. And mm-hmm. this movie addresses that in a way that I find to be beautiful and interesting. One of my friends who I was talking about this movie to, he he had given it a one star on Letterboxd. I know. Well, first of all, what did you give this on Letterboxd? I gave it a 3.5. Okay. I gave it a, I gave it a 4.5, I think. I really like it. I It lingers with me. It'll probably, I forgot about it for a while. It'll probably linger with me for a while after this. But he gave it a one star, and I asked why, you know, I was like, well, you, you best explain yourself. Fucking animal. <laughs> and he said that it was too bleak and depressing and, you know, was almost encouraging of suicide, which he called it a reverse It's a Wonderful Life, where everybody's life became better after you were gone. But I don't, I don't agree with that. After, especially after this rewatch, I, I really think that's almost opposite what the, the message of the movie is. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I can see as you're kind of picking up pieces of what the movie's doing, yeah. coming to that kind of conclusion. But I, I'm going to come back to what I said earlier, which is like, Donnie's already dead. Like this tangent universe is something aberrant. And it's the whole movie is about maybe this is me finally coming to a conclusion. He's accepting his death. He's not. It's 
it's the whole thing where he talks to the the teacher that gives him the philosophy of time travel Mm -hmm. about you can choose your path within god's channel like donnie's dead and he has to choose how he gets to the point where he accepts it yeah yes i i think that's that's quite right it's he has to go through the steps he has to learn he has to learn you know he has to learn to accept it because he has to make that choice in the end and it's not i could definitely see why take it as i'm sorry but i can definitely see why somebody would take it as a or could interpret it as you know making the choice to kill yourself but i certainly don't think that's what the movie was going for it was about making the choice to accept fate and to put your hands in a higher power and and move forward to whatever's next I thought that it was interesting that we have this movie focused on a teen boy and I don't feel like it came back to kind of the maxim on the Bechtel cast is that every movie is about fathers and sons Mm -hmm. and I don't like Donnie's dad is basically a non-entity the mom has way more agency yeah, the mom is certainly the main parent, but you do, in the director's cut, you get a, a fantastic scene with Donnie and his dad that the theatrical cut doesn't have. Is this where they're in the car together? The first time, where, where they almost hit Grandma Deaf, that's on the theatrical cut, but I think, okay. I forget if it's extended or what. There's definitely a moment that's not in the theatrical cut that I remembered. There's a conversation Donnie has with his, <clears throat> with his father where Donnie's father is telling him he's not insane and that yes. Donnie should remain honest and always tell the truth no matter what others think. And yeah, that's such a great father. That's a, such a great relationship moment for those two that it's that's the only scene I think is 100% should have been in the theatrical cut because mm. it's just so good at fleshing out that family dynamic between them. Well, and I think that it it maybe helps pull you back from, you know, at the start of this discussion, I was like, the movie's about this guy who's mentally unwell. And really, Donnie's not unwell. He's experiencing, you know, a a huge amount of traumatic events on a loop, and he's responding to them in, yeah, he's dealing with them in the best way that he can. And he has problems coming in where he's like, he burned down the building or whatever. But I don't know about you. I was eight and played with matches inappropriately. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't a pyro. I was just like, yeah, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Doing a hairspray flamethrower in your friend's backyard is a totally normal thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Whomst among us has not almost burnt down their friend's house. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, you know, it's... It's a really fun mix of like it's fantasy and sci-fi because there is a very real sci-fi element for it if you want to dig into it. Um, there's like a whole series of events. There's the concept of the artifact, which is like described as people, you know, consider the artifact weird and mystical and be interested in it. And that's the, the jet engine that fell out of nowhere. There's we haven't even like I mean, it's crazy because Donnie Darko is probably most known for Frank the Rabbit. And we've barely talked about him. Um, yeah, he's, you know, the reveal at the end that it's this kid is like, oh, okay, sure. I feel like, you know, in the universe of the movie, we have to see Frank eventually. But I think that in typical scary movie fashion, 
finally showing the thing that we're afraid of kind of robs it of its power. Yeah. And I think that's why he figures less into the discussion we're having. Yeah, I think it's because, yeah, and really it's Frank's only purpose is to serve as sort of a guide for Donnie on his, his journey, you know? And were he not... Were he not happened to have weared the creepy bunny suit when he died, he would have. It would have been a much less interesting appearance of the manipulated dead. But the idea is that uh, the sci-fi mythos idea is that as a manipulated dead, he has you know immense power, and he has knowledge of the future and of the impending disaster, and he has the capacity to influence the the the, the receiver or Donnie's mission. But yeah, it's such distinctive, wonderful imagery that like it's no wonder that became sort of the the selling point of the movie because it's so creepy and unique and weird. But in the end, it's not important because it's just another facet of Donnie's journey. It's just another element of it. Yeah, it's interesting that this is almost an inversion of one of the critical pieces of the hero's journey. Where, like, usually you think about, you know, Donnie's our hero, and he should have threshold guardians that keep him from going on the adventure, progressing the the universe. And in this case, the thing that's really spooky, that, that, you know, freaks us out as the viewer, Donnie never really seems afraid of Frank. He's, He's not a threshold guardian. He's, like, he's giving the call to adventure. Yeah, he's the one who gets Donnie doing everything in the first place. Yeah, and I would say, like, if we're thinking about it from a, a Joseph Campbell perspective, to to really put my film bro hat on, the conversation you were talking about with between Donnie and his dad, where his dad tells him that he's not crazy, is the atonement with the father. And I think that's why seeing it in the extended cut is part of why you're like, oh, this really should have been in the theatrical cut because that's such a key portion of like how we understand stories is that there is this especially if we're going to have a literal father in the movie we we get that scene where they come together and the dad tells them like hey it's all right we're 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 square yeah but yeah it's it's such a such a fun movie so enjoyable of a watch great characters just great interactions between people funny it's it's creepy and i i certainly highly recommend it i certainly recommend watching the theatrical cut first over the director's cut and then watch the director's cut i Uh, but i will say i loved all of the like weird yeah mythos no it's very good it's very good Uh, it's very cool I, I just think the proper, like, I both are good. The director's cut is good. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, you know, sometimes the director's cut is horrible and shitty. It's just, I think that as an introduction to Donnie Darko, you go with the theatrical cut. And then when you say, oh, I'm ready to delve in deeper, you go with the director's cut. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's usually fair. You also, in the director's cut, do miss the, the, better, the better song choice that opens up the movie. Oh. Yeah. It's Killer Killing Moon. Hmm. Is there, just on the subject of theatrical versus director's cut, is there a movie you can think of where the theatrical cut is bad enough that someone should jump in on the director's cut? Oh, well, I mean, uh, Blade Runner is the obvious answer. Yeah. The Blade Runner theatrical cut with the 
the Harrison Ford voiceover. Harrison Ford voiceovers. Um, let me. There's probably some others. Uh, I mean, I would say Lord of the Rings. You jump in with the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. The extended editions if you are. If you have somehow not seen Lord of the Rings up until this point, there's no point to go and watch the theatrical cut over the director's cut. Just, just go for it. I remember in college, I had not seen the Lord of the Rings movies, and I picked up on Black Friday the theatrical version of the trilogy and very excitedly sent a text to, uh, at the time was just my friend, is now my wife of eight years. It is, as we're recording this, it is my eighth wedding anniversary. Um, And I was very excited because she loves Lord of the Rings. She reads The Hobbit every year uh, on her birthday. And I like excitedly sent her like, hey, I picked this up. We should watch these together. And she was kind of like, well, I'm not watching the theatrical cut of Lord of the Rings, but more power to you. You share an anniversary with Donnie Darko Day. Yeah. October Hell 2nd. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess I didn't actually state this at the beginning, but we weren't kidding when the world ends, or when we said the world ends in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds. Today, as we re- record this, it is uh, Donnie Darko Day. Uh, it is October 2nd. So, I guess our hours and minutes and seconds are probably off, but... Uh, don't worry about uh, it. Yeah, don't worry about that. The You don't know days. what time we recorded this. We're not telling you. We recorded it at exactly the right moment. Um, yeah, we I think, are currently I think... in a golf uh, golf course in the middle of the night, with and Cody is dressed as a giant rabbit. You know, the thing is that I, I do live on a golf course now. Oh so the place that we just moved to overlooks a, a golf course that I can't afford to play on uh, and don't know how to play golf. So even if I could afford it, I can't do it. So I think Donnie Darko is going to go into my spooky season rotation. It's the kind of cerebral spooky movie that I can come back to without, you know, being terrified. Yeah, it's it's a good one. I was uh, I was very happy to uh, revisit it. What do I know? Is it? No, not her. That's the conservative teacher. What do I know Jenna Malone from? I'm uh, looking on Letterboxd. Malone was, uh, she was in the Hunger Games movies. She was... Nah, the, uh, nah, it's not. It's not, Peter. I saw what it is. Oh, it's Pride and It is Pride and Prejudice. She is Lydia in the 2005 Joe Wright-directed Pride and Prejudice, a perfect movie. So if you need some more Jenna Malone in your life, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite movies. I mean, who among us does not need more Jenna Malone in their life? Um, yeah, that movie is fantastic. Um, well, yeah, so I think that we're we're probably coming to the end here. So we got to do we got to talk about Letterboxd Roulette. So let's let's move into that segment real quick. What did you have to watch? I didn't watch mine. Oh wow! I know I need. Wow, to. I, I've been bad. I'll, I'll I'll watch it and we'll record a little separate thing. <laughs> we'll see. Well, the episode comes out in a few days. Oh so. God! All right, I may not have time. Um, okay. Yeah, you just you let down our well, legions of fans. So I've been I've been watching all of the iClaudia stuff. I'm still on. Oh, nice! So you're still you're still working through that miniseries you pulled. I am. I I, I bought a a week long. I, I bought a month of, of some service on Amazon that had it. So I've been streaming it, and I really really like iClaudius. It's it's very good. I'm actually uh, on the last episode now. Yeah, I think that I'd like to loop around at some point and watch it because I enjoyed the novel a lot. Yeah, the, the it's like like I said, it's kind of like watching a stage performance, but these are like British stage actors yeah. at the top of their game, just doing monologues and shit, and it's fantastic. It's like watching Game of Thrones, but you know, none none of the action actually happens. 
which is fine. It's like that's we didn't have the budget uh, for that. Yeah, it's like okay, we know the important part is how all these characters walk around plotting and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. What was your uh, your choice? Yeah, it was the Julia Roberts Hugh Grant rom com Notting Hill, and it was a lot of fun. Not a great rom com, but it's kind of it's it was mentioned in the most recent season of oh it might have been last season on you must remember this i think it was erotic 80s but it was kind of a julia roberts doing a movie that was a a reaction to pretty woman and it it does some interesting things where it inverts some tropes that maybe feel a little bit we've seen them subverted subverted so many times now that it feels a little less like risque to be like, oh, the woman is the one with the powerful career. Um, you know, the kind of thing we've seen a lot now, but at the time was a little less obvious. And so it was fun. It was British. Julia Roberts is, plays an American actress. She basically plays a version of herself who falls in love with a bookstore owner. So it was good, you know, popcorn movie. Would have been a good date movie when it came out. Yeah, nice. Yeah, well, I'm I'm ready to roll if we want to to go ahead and roll the dice all right why don't you start us off all right here we go oh okay i'm excited because this is on my very legitimate plex server where everything is purchased in physical media and ripped onto my plex server uh if if the police are listening i rolled 1949's all the king's men it is an adaptation of a pulitzer prize winning novel it's uh oh yes okay so i added this not that long ago it's a man of humble beginnings and honest intentions rises to power by nefarious means along for the wild rider an earnest reporter a heretofore classy society girl and a too clever for her own good political flack um but it's like set in louisiana if i remember correctly and it's about a like local politician kind of breaking the rules on his way to the top nice so that'll be fun and it's not crazy long all right, I am actually not going to roll from my, my watch list because I have a, as many people do, I have an October horror movie challenge list. I am currently watching a, a spooky movie every night for the month of October, as I have for the past couple years. So I'm It's always to, fun. It is one of my favorite times of the year. So to celebrate, I am going to be rolling from that list. Oh, cool. I'll have to do that. I'll do that for November because I've got a list going for November. Very nice. So let's see what we've got. Shuffle. Okay. I have one I just put on there about 20 seconds ago. So that worked out. <laughs> I'm going to be watching 1982's Pieces. The tagline is, it's exactly what you think it is. So yeah, it's, it's Pieces. Pieces of bodies, I imagine. Oh, okay. Yeah. A frustrated Boston detective searches for the maniac responsible for mutilating a number of university co-eds. It's exactly what you think it is. Yeah, the movie poster that I'm seeing on Letterboxd is a chainsaw on a, like, silk tablecloth and a dead co-ed in the foreground. Yes, it's, uh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. It's a, it's a slasher movie. I love slasher movies. This is definitely... Uh, I'm excited. It should be on Shudder. So I highly recommend Shudder. Ooh, yeah. Process. 
Picking up picking up shutter for spooky season feels like a thing I should do. I yeah, it's worth it. I mean, even yeah, if, if you're any, just gonna have the gulag on in the background. Ooh, yeah. For our for our friends who are listening as we come into spooky season, Seth, what's up? Michael, what's up? Deadstream last year was so good. I don't know if you guys oh, watched Dead, it. Deadstream has been my recommendation to everybody. God, it's so good. I that's one of your top tier recommendations. You've recommended a lot of good stuff to me, well, but that, that was, was like so. That you. was five stars. That was so you. That was the most Cody movie I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> canceled canceled content creator locks himself in a haunted house <laughs> to do a, a apology live stream. So good. <laughs> I gotta rewatch it. I know I might end up rewatching too. Yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna do some Shutter things. Definitely, there's a couple of movies that even from last year I'm planning to rewatch because I really enjoyed them. Gonjiam, Haunted Asylum, one of the scariest found footage movies I've seen in recent years. I knew that I know there's a new Hell House movie coming out. Hell House. Oh. LLC. First one was very good. Second. First Hell House was fun. Second and third were pretty meh, but hopefully they are course correcting with this newest one. We'll see. Lots of good stuff. It's the yeah. most wonderful time of the year. Can you, you know, just to add a new segment to the show for spooky season, can you assign me a spooky movie to watch? Assign you a spooky movie? My goodness. Okay. Uh, and then invite me over and make me a cocktail while we watch it? Sure. We could do that. Um, let's see. One I've been wanting to rewatch. I God, I'm going to do like a couple of repeats from last year. I'm actually trying to do more than one movie a day now. That's how I up my game for... Oh, dang. I did two yesterday, including Donnie Darko. And the other one I watched yesterday was called Tentacles, which was just a Jaws ripoff, which was a lot of fun. Oh, it did sound fun. It was uh, Italian, right? It was a Yeah, not in Italian, but it was Italian. So, you know, all you had your main English actors, and then everybody else was badly dubbed. Um, okay, one I recommend uh, that I want to rewatch is the... The either okay. I'm gonna give a choice of two. There's the WNUF Halloween special. Um, the WNUF Holiday Special is a it's a horror comedy that's like a it's like a videotaped fake news segment from 1987. So it looks like it's a real kind of VHS filmed recording, and so it's this like local news channel investigating a haunted house for Halloween, like a Halloween special, <laughs> and complete with like fake commercials and shit. It's really fun. It's it's really enjoyable. We have um, talked about this before, yeah, but have not watched it together. Yeah. I'm super excited. This feels very... We talked about Kentucky Fried Movie with Freddie when he was on. Um, and we'll have to figure out... When we figure out what else we're watching for this month, we'll have to get Freddie back on for a spooky movie because mm-hmm, he'll, sure. he'll enjoy that. Um, another one that I would like to rewatch, and uh, we could even do a double feature because it'd be a good one, is uh, Ghost Watch. Um, oh yes yeah ghost i have ghost watch yeah. acquired it's sorry the, the fire uh, truck is going by if you can oh hear goodness, it i can hear it it's the 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 british uh, mockumentary television thing which is so is presented as live television of like a bbc broadcast and they're investigating a haunted house and shit goes to hell and people were like freaked out because they did not realize you know it was happening <laughs> it was english people's war of the world's yeah. radio broadcast so fun so fun 
Well, dude, sweet. Well, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Film Bros Anonymous. We hope that you have enjoyed it and that you'll leave us a rating and a review wherever you are listening to our podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the places you're listening to it. You found it. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next week, and we'll, we'll figure out what we're watching in the meantime. Yeah, until next time, you know, add some spooky movies to your list. What do you what do you want to watch? What do you yeah, remember your plans it's for this season. Yeah, remember the reason for the season. We're we're celebrating Satan's birthday and we gotta make sure that we, we do him proud. <laughs> I don't think that's the reason for the season. <laughs>